0: This is Stephanie Angstaff and Sue Miller. And this is the Collective Creamery podcast, where we're crafting the conversation on American artisan cheese.
1: talking about needing more sheep's milk cheese in Pennsylvania?
0: I do. I feel like we have a little sprinkling of sheep's milk, but just not enough. I know
1: we have some fabulous sheep's milk producers, but you're right. It's just not enough. And you know, this is something you and I have been talking about for at least a year and a half (laughs) wanting (laughs) to do some sort of a sheep's milk project. Yes. Well, guess what, everybody? We are. Stephanie and I are making some sheep's milk cheese, and we happen to be doing it today on the day when we're going to introduce a really special podcast for you to listen to.
0: We just took a moment while our curd is setting. I'm looking at my friend Sue with her hairnet on and her Dairy Go-Go boots. We're about to jump back into cutting the curd, but we wanted to take a minute to introduce, speaking of sheep's milk, one of our favorite sheep's milk producers and cheesemakers on the whole East Coast. Vermont Shepherd.
1: Vermont Shepherd. David Major, I just think that um, as time goes on, we need to record this information about these cheesemakers. We all need to, you know, benefit from the wisdom of the work that he's been doing for how many years? 30. 30 years making sheep's milk cheese here in the United States. Yeah. Total would- path cutter. <laughs>
0: I was um I, I just I think David's whole presence and his way with the sheep is just magical. He has 30 years of knowledge behind him. I learned so much. I thought it was neat how he actually hikes his sheep herd up to six miles away. His flock, flock. His flock. Six miles away. Six miles away.
1: I know. I know that's quite that's quite a journey every day, isn't it? Yeah. And he has it all laid out so that by the um when the weather isn't as appropriate, because they'll be grazing in up to six inches of snow, then he's grazing the fields close to yeah. the cheese house.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really great. It's pretty neat. So one of the things that was interesting about this farm was it's it's a family farm that kind of evolved into. Um, a sheep dairy um, as David got more involved in it, right? They started with fibers and meat. And, you know, as David learned the trade, he started becoming a mentor and a teacher to other sheep cheese makers, you know? So mm-hmm. I feel like he's really, because of his experience, he's taken other people under his wing now. And that's pretty neat. We're, yeah. And clearly he's been
1: doing this for 30 years. There is a place for sustainability in sheep farming. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if you're wondering how he makes that happen, you have to listen into the podcast.
0: Yeah. There yeah. there is a way and he I think he just it goes back to the basics. Like he keeps it really simple and I think his operation is lean and it's efficient and it's really um it was neat to kind of hear a little bit about the nuts and bolts of how he makes it all work.
1: And how about the next generation is back on the farm? That's working right. with him
0: that's right so that's pretty remarkable
1: <laughs> i know we just kind of could go on and on and on and on um yeah and this morning while we were ladling you know uh, pouring some milk immediately he was in my mind you know be gentle with the milk you know we were really gentle with it today
0: <laughs> thank you david major So we hope you enjoy this interview, and we've got a few more coming up for you from our New England cheese making adventure, so stay tuned and definitely listen up. We have a follow-up with Kate Turcotte coming up, and we've got some other conversations that I think you'll enjoy. And also keep in mind, just as a reminder, that our summer CSA season is open, so you can look online at collectivecreamery.com, learn a little bit about our shares, and join our cheese club.
1: Yeah, and if you haven't ever had Vermont Shepherd Cheese, the Verano, you can find it in our share. I'm (laughs) very proud of the fact that that's pretty much the
0: only place you can get it in southeastern Pennsylvania is through Collective Creamery. So join us. And it's also through Collective Creamery where you're going to be able to find some of our new experimental sheep's milk cheeses. So stay tuned for that.
2: Well, um... I mean, this is the thirty-first year of us milking sheep, and uh, we're doing better and better all uh, every year. And now, um, uh, over last year, two of the uh, no, three of uh, my adult children um, worked on worked on the farm, and one of them is full time now uh, and wants to just keep with it. And then great? we've got um, we've got a payroll of close to 10 at this point, believe 10 it or employees. not. Yeah. I'm oh, um, not all not all full time, but right. but it's pretty busy. Uh, here and, right. and doing pretty well.
1: It is pretty busy here. We can hear a little uh, sheep action in the background, <laughs> but yeah, that's great. That actually, it really makes an impact on a region too to be able to be in business a for that long, right? And then to have you know impact with employees.
2: Yeah, yeah, ten
1: employees I'm, for yeah this operation. That's that's cool.
2: Yeah, it is pretty cool. And uh, you know, now we're uh, usually milking around two hundred. Uh, but we also um, have a neighbor just over the ridge to the west of here who um, they milk uh, sheep and we buy all their sheep's milk. They're in Athens and it's called Wild Shepherd Farm. And so we use all their sheep's milk. And then we also are by, during the course of the year, by close to half of um, the milk produced by Putney School Farm um they milk like 35 cows and that we use to make uh, our mixed milk in uh, cheese that we call the in, invierno wow so
1: and you share that production with parish hill with your Parrish neighbors hill. Right.
2: right right during the summer they take uh, most of that milk make most of our verano in the summer and most of the invierno in the winter <laughs>
1: Uh, so, David, you were telling us earlier that you I mean you just grew up right up the road. Is it even a quarter of a mile, the edge of the it's property? About,
2: uh, it's about half a mile. A
1: half a mile. Yeah. And your family, your parents are still there.
2: My parents are still there. Uh, it's that When I was growing up, that was one farm, and this was another farm adjacent to each other. Uh, now we... We farm it all as one farm.
1: Oh, that's great. All right, let's go back and tell us the history of this property because I think it's really important to the story of Vermont Shepherd.
2: Yeah. Where um, we are today. Well, yeah. the, the, the the main barn right now was built in 1890 and it's a really big, wonderful barn with a huge cupola and quite quite large. Uh, we store most of our hay there, the sheep there, and all the, most of the lambing happens there. It was uh, built by a very... Successful family. The family in 1890 built this barn, and they were they were uh, had the farm uh, was a sheep farm back then, and then it uh, it became a cow dairy in about uh, in the mid 1940s. Uh, Cows were milked here. So then in uh, it was a cow dairy from mid 1940s 19 early 1970s. Then as we became. Our farm became busier and busier, and I finished school and came back and started farming full time. started We started renting property on this farm, and then it came up for sale. And uh, after some back and forth and several convoluted uh, stories, it wound up we wound up buying it. and And so now this is where uh, Justine and I live, and and is kind of the center of the farm. The center of the farm. Point.
1: You know, my husband always says you only have one opportunity in your lifetime to buy adjoining line, land to your farm, yeah. and yeah. this was your opportunity. And you know, it just seems like it's this—the landscape here is just perfect for you know running this herd of sheep here yeah. for shepherding. Yeah. You know, the way it kind of rolls down through the the valley here. You got some like little hillsides. You do have some open fields for making hay. Yeah. So that's perfect, yeah, yeah, and isn't it like so special being on the land where you you know right where you grew up?
2: It is, and uh, I also share that uh, that fortune uh, with my brother Stephen, who is a large animal vet. Oh, so, really? So <laughs> right
1: in this area? Yeah. As so well. he lives
2: on a uh, right on uh, part of the farm with his wife and uh, where he raised his kids, and um, so uh, that is a extra benefit.
1: Wow, it's um, a benefit having, to having have a live-in vet. <laughs> yeah, in the family.
2: In the family. It's good.
1: Oh, it's... Well, you know, every difficult, you know, probably lambing or problems happen on every holiday, so you might all be together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Um, so what inspired you to, um, you know, like start building this herd of sheep, making cheese? I mean, really... You're at the forefront of this renaissance of cheesemaking, so vital to what the landscape looks like now in Vermont and the United States. You know, like, where did that come from? How did you get inspired to do this?
2: I think uh, a lot of it was just uh, uh, luck and the right timing. But uh, I grew up on the farm, we had sheep when I was growing up, and the economics of sheep farming were getting worse and worse as I became a young adult Mm -hmm. because the U.S. government stopped their wool subsidy. Um, They used to match what you got for wool with a a subsidy uh, of about an equal amount. And uh, that meant that wool, and and the fact that there was then a textile industry in the country, which there no longer Mm -hmm. is, meant then that you could make some money with wool. And then also... uh, the at around that time, Australia and New Zealand were really pushing lamb exports, and so lamb meat that is, right. and so the kind of traditional sale of fiber and meat uh, that happens with sheep farms uh, was was uh, not doing so well economically, and we were looking for another source of income, just hit upon the the uh milking and trying that and Mm -hmm. uh it turned out to be right when the uh, artisanal cheese you know wave was just just starting right so it was good timing
1: timing is everything isn't it
2: yeah yeah
1: had you traveled in europe or anything to think well heck we could be milking these sheep i mean certainly you had
2: yeah It, it, it we did after after a couple of years okay um of making crappy cheese. Then,
1: uh, <laughs> That's how you really get inspired, yeah, then, right? <laughs> then we,
2: we traveled. My, my uh, wife at the time, uh, Cindy, Cynthia, mm-hmm. and I went to, and to our two uh, uh, young kids at the time uh, went and just spent a couple of weeks there. But, uh, you know, after you uh, struggle for a couple of years doing something and then go see people who really know how to do it, it's, you learn a lot fast.
1: Did you start with the East Frisian? And where did you find them? Uh, or- we
2: started with my family's Dorset cross sheep. Oh, really? And just started milking them. Okay. And then we, there was a Swiss family that uh, moved, what had moved from Switzerland to British Columbia, uh, Kamloops, British Columbia. And uh, they were selling some, uh, and they brought their Frisian oh. sheep with them. Okay, uh, and they were selling some ram lambs. We flew them, two of them, as uh, dogs uh, in dog crates to the <laughs> uh, airport in Montreal, and I drove up and picked them up. And actually, it was two two different times and picked them up and. Brought them back over to here.
1: No issue crossing the border with that them. That
2: was it. Was that was prior to okay. the whole mad cow right uh, scare that um, that made it much harder to do that.
1: What an adventure! Well, of course, we're not that far from Montreal here. So no, no, just yeah. a couple of hours. Like. Yeah. L- Let's fly those, those rams to Montreal and drive <laughs> right, up and pick right, them up. Right. That must have been exciting for it you. Was,
2: it, yeah, it was good. And then also uh, back then, another uh, sheep farm that was uh, s- milking early, early on was called Hollow Road Farm in New York State. Uh, after they went out of business, their uh, sheep were bought by um, a new farm, new at the time, called Old Chatham Sheep Herding. Farm. Oh, of course. So, mm-hmm. uh, But they started Hollow Road Farm was just trying out uh tunis sheep tunis are very friendly oh, right. uh, kind of easy going around people and we traded rams with them so that's why it's from that that we have all the the sort of brown faces uh or freckled faces on the sheep mm-hmm. and uh it's it's the leftover tunis genetics and the reason why it's stuck around is because they are very friendly sheep and our uh when when you have uh friendly sheep you can get milk out of them <laughs> right and, so much easier um uh so now the the flock is just a very friendly noisy pushy flock
1: <laughs> <laughs> they sound very so they're very sociable very sociable <laughs> very sociable <laughs> yeah. well that's really great so you know you pick this you're This iconic cheese, which was now, I hate to use that word, but it really is here in the United States, the Vermont Shepherd, Verano. And, you know, can you tell us, like, what were the challenges that were so present? I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, A, clearly genetics. B, nobody's doing it. Do Americans understand sheep's milk cheeses? You know, who's buying them? What were some of the challenges you had when you first started?
2: So, gosh, the challenges when we started had i, I think that the the primary challenge challenge was uh, trying to convince the sheep that it was okay to be milked mm. and this is a group of sheep that had never been milked before and in with a with equipment and with with essentially no real sheep dairy equipment no real you know setup that was that was Appropriate for sheep in milking, right? D- and, designed and just for it, all right? All kind of brand new, and um, so it was several years of just a, a lot of talking to the sheep,
1: <laughs> persuasive talking, <laughs> persuasive <laughs> talking, a lot of reasoning going on over here,
2: around. <laughs> and then the other thing was the fact that um, was the fact that we. You know, it, it was it was a brand new. We 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 didn't know what product to make. We didn't know that cheese uh, grew mold on the outside and that was okay. Right. <laughs> uh, we didn't know, um, you know, what sort of cheeses you could make from sheep's milk. Um, so we were just trying everything: feta and gouda and blue cheese and uh, so on and so forth. Bring it to the farmer's market and just seeing what stuck, seeing what tasted good right. and so on. So, so the, but, but in, in the end, throwing out a lot of cheese right. and playing around with it, trying to, trying right. to see what worked.
1: Did you use like Koscikowski's, where where did you get your recipes? You're just winging it or talking to people, old timers in the neighborhood. Yeah.
2: Or? Yeah. Um, we were Peter Dixon, who's still a neighbor and was much younger then, as were
1: <laughs> as was
2: I. <laughs> um, was getting his dairy science degree at UVM. Oh, right. His younger brother actually I I had uh, done some sheep farming with. Right. And so uh we knew each other quite well. That's and right. He, Sam
1: had managed a,
2: did he, he manage? He, he did. Yeah, that's uh, right. He yeah and and uh he he ran a sheep farm uh, right. back then. Uh now he, and for decades now, he's run the Brown Swiss herd at Shelburne Farms.
1: Which but, is an amazing herd of cows up there.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he and Peter grew up. Right. And so Peter was coming up with recipes and helping us out and working with us um, way back then. Uh, he was kind it was, we were all learning together. <laughs>
1: oh, I bet he loved it. But he loved it.
2: Yeah. And I can, I can, I probably should show you. I should have shown you uh, when we were in the barn. Um, Our first curing room was the sawdust pit in this barn. Uh, Oh, that's great. (laughs) And it's still, it's still set up with, um, with shelving that we used to, to cure the cheese on. But now we just use it for storage, for actually the storage of the, the jugs that we put, so called jugs or pens that we put the l- young families uh, in uh, right after the lambs are born, the mom and the lambs. What's interesting is that there is so much mold still in that uh it's cave, so inoculated. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. the, the mold just covers the panels. So when we take them out uh, a year later, you know, next February, they're just covered with white mold. Oh, wow. Um, the microbes so, are
1: alive and yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, and that, this alive is, and well in the barn. You know, this
2: is uh, 30 years later.
1: Wow. Isn't uh, that something?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. So you got to get these recipes worked out.
2: Yeah. And yeah. Um, <laughs> The economic. I mean, at that point, I was working off the farm too, just uh, at a local woolen mill. Um, we were uh, there was also we were part of a land marketing co op, which was relatively successful back then. So it was it was like uh, we were hoping to make something of it, but it wasn't a, wasn't for the first couple of years. It wasn't a source of income at all, really. Right. Um, and it didn't really become. Uh, serious until um, we went to France. We came back in a w- in, in the winter just for a couple of weeks, came back, made cheese this the year, uh, it was 1993, and we made cheese using the lessons we'd learned in France, and uh, that. Those lessons were primarily you have to be careful about what you do and there's something special about your location, your farm. And if you're careful about preserving those flavors uh, in the milk, like don't freeze the milk, don't stir it fast, don't pump it, don't um, uh, heat it slowly, um, uh, avoid uh, having it bubble Um you know all of that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. just be careful with it. Um, then you can preserve those flavors or you can preserve the maximum as much as you can of those flavors, and that makes a that makes a a unique cheese unique to your spot and you, we could that was pretty obvious in France and the Pyrenees in France going from one farm to another, all using the same recipe but having very different cheeses oh, and so those that, that was a really good lesson, and when we came back, uh, we uh, up till that date we had been entering the the uh, American Cheese Society annual cheese judging, which at that point was brand new; it was a new organization. Right. But um, uh, we had come in dead last in the scoring, <laughs> and that year, last, 1993. <laughs> right. Uh, we came in we came in we got the the uh, the uh, first prize for farmhouse cheese wow. uh, which at that point was the mix in up. one year All, yeah in one year in one year yeah went and to first so, place and and then um, florence fabricant who is the writer the food writer for the new york times at that point loved our cheese it was it was in a couple of stores in new york city at uh, that summer,
1: so you won first place, and immediately they like jumped on it in they New York They jumped on it right
2: and, and she uh, that fall let 's see was it that fall she uh, she had had some of it earlier it had, had we'd had run out, and then she uh, in that fall she wrote it like a two paragraph thing in the New York Times that said, Vermont Shepherd, which some of us have become addicted to, is back in season. And ever since then, it's we haven't mm. had to do any marketing.
0: <laughs>
2: I love it. <laughs> we just have to produce it.
0: I love it. Uh, uh-huh. Was that an early iteration of uh, Verano then? It, it that, was Verano. Okay. It's the yeah,
2: same cheese. Understand. It's the same cheese. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. The Verano hasn't really changed since then. I mean, it's, we, we're more consistent with it. We know how to do it much better. Um, we know how to make it so that the rinds aren't all wrinkly and whatever. But uh, it's the same cheese. So, yeah.
1: That's so great. <laughs> uh, all right. What I really want to know is about the the saucer cheese molds.
2: <laughs>
1: Talk about like, I did you just not have access, or were you like I I found these?
2: Well, you know- we didn't have any money. Right, that was, that was the main thing. So we went to at that point there was the local department store was called Ames, and we just which is bought like a Kmart
1: some, or something. Yeah, right? it's yeah, it's <laughs>
2: gone gone out of business now, but it's it it uh, um, it had sort of like these Sterlite. Uh, mixing bowls, right. and we just bought a bunch of them for 98 cents each and um, and drilled holes in them. I and, love it, and then that became uh, you know, they're they're they look like uh, fairly typical wheels that have somewhat rounded uh, rounded sides, except that they they don't become flat on the sides because these bowls were were you know, um, more of a cone shape, and um. Sort of a silly way to make cheese because when you put the we 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 cut the tops the followers or the the tops for pressing the the cheese out of the same bowls. But if they press too much, you know they don't press. They're they're they, the the top uh, hits the plastic of the, the, other of the, the, of the of the bowl. <laughs> right. And um, but. Once we started it, it became uh, the, the shape. And, uh, oh, it's so, so distinctive. So, and we've had to, of course, we, uh, after, well, because it was almost 20 years, we had to replace a whole bunch of bowls. And we um, had to do some searching. I was going to gonna say, that must have been that... stressful,
1: getting the right bowl. <laughs> Vintage collection. Right, Vintage right, bowls. right. That's yeah. crazy.
2: So that's how it is. And, and at one point we had a, uh, there was a, a wonderful uh, French man who's sort of like a extension agent for uh, farms that produce uh, cheese in Southwestern France. And he came, we met him over there uh, at one subsequent trip to Europe. And uh, then he came here and uh, we got a grant to have him come and help advise the the young sheep dairies that were in business in Vermont and a little bit in New Hampshire at that point. And uh, Jacques Mege, and he, he looked at our cheese molds and he said, oh, he said, you can't ever change this. It's like the ridge around the outside is, that's the spine of your green mountains. And oh, <laughs> did he say that? Yes, he said that. And oh, so that was that. We love him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, that's so great. How many, how many sheep dairies were, ha- were around then?
2: At, at, it was actually, there was a, a kind of a wave uh, of... Um, uh, people getting into uh, milking sheep
1: was that uh, under your influence? The mid
2: nineteen nineties up to about two thousand, yeah. And I uh, we were kind of right in the center of that because what happened was we had this success making the cheese in the early mid nineteen nineties, and then the the uh, development department of the agency of agriculture, the state agency of agriculture saw it and was trying to, uh, encourage, you know, new types of farming in, in mm. Vermont. And so they ended out, um, uh, paying us to teach other people how to, uh, right. make, uh, how to milk sheep and also how to make cheese. And so that there were nine farms that, that, Kind of were we were all we were all linked through that program, and um, it also for a while we all cured the cheese together. We made this much bigger cave, which is uh, we still is our the center of our cheese curing. And at that point, um, everyone was producing smaller volumes, and we all cured the cheese in that cave.
1: So it was like a little was it, it was a sort
2: of like a co-op. A cooperative, and then we were we had we had monthly. Cheese judgings, where we had mm. a variety of people—maybe uh, somebody from provisions, the the whole the distributor wholesaler in mm-hmm. White River Junction, um, maybe uh, somebody a, a, a retailer like uh, Henry Tewksbury, who wrote a who was a great promoter of Vermont cheeses at the Brattleboro Co-op back then. Okay. and then one of the producers, and we and that that would be the panel, and we'd go through all the cheeses that had been produced the previous month and grade them and and uh, decide which was first quality and second quality and so on. This was your sensory really, evaluation program. Exactly, oh. really, really educational. Yeah. Oh, uh, I and we it did was. that, that went on for like three years or so. And uh, we all learned a lot at right. that point. So that became kind of the nucleus of uh, sheep dairies that continued up to, up to the present. Although many of them have, uh, many of the people who were doing that have retired or are you know, no longer-
1: Anybody that, left? That. From the group?
2: Uh, Bonnie View Farm I was just
1: going to ask if is, Neil Yuri was in that.
2: He was, was part right. of it. And um, I'm unsure he and his wife had triplets, uh, triplet. Human <laughs> babies. <laughs> right. He's <laughs> not, got a lot of juggling to go on. Right uh, and another child as well. And I'm not sure how where they're at right now. Right. I've, I've heard different stories and I haven't spoken to Neil in a few yes. months at this point. Yeah. So I'm not sure exactly sure where they are. But those Jesus uh, mates are good. Woodcock yeah. Sheep Dairy, oh, Mark uh Fisher. Mark Fisher. Mark and Gary. Uh, yeah, Mark and Gary. And then uh, Willow Smart, Willow Hill Farm, but she oh. just, just went out of uh, stopped, I okay. believe. Um, and there were several others, uh, but they they have unfortunately, and I'm kind of sad about this, have have dropped out. So now uh, there are fewer sheep dairies in the area than there were back then. Mm.
1: So is yeah. it a generational shift, or do you think you know this struggle to really have a sustainable living with a small sheep dairy, you know, is just too challenging? What do you think about that? What are your thoughts on?
2: Well. There are a number of people who are milking and and and, and getting into milking sheep. Uh, mm-hmm. There's um, Susie Kaplan and Todd who are just uh, uh, a few towns north of here. I've just started in the last couple of years and they're one example. They're they're kind of linking it with a farm to table thing. They have oh. a, they've they've built some cabins. They have Bed and breakfast people come, and they use the sheep's milk. Essentially, market it themselves in their own operation, okay. and they milk just like a dozen sheep. Okay, that's become a model that a number of people have done. So there's there's that scale which seems to be working, mm-hmm. and and seems to be a lot of fun for people. Right. And then the uh, there's there's those of us like Woodcock Sheep Dairy, or uh, um, or here, or what Bonnieview uh, has been doing up. To this point, which is getting to be pretty good size, mm-hmm. and making um, uh, you know, and 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 being up to the size where you can be sophisticated enough in the marketing and in uh, dealing with food safety plans and all that kind of thing. That back when when uh, I first got into this wasn't nearly the challenge it is now. You, right. There there just wasn't the FISMA regulations the The buyers requiring food safety plans uh and environmental testing that no one even heard of that stuff right it, it wasn't
1: it wasn't on the radar it wasn't at all. on the
2: radar at all yeah, and so from that standpoint, it was a much easier time to get into it right and then similarly with the marketing um there, was, there just wasn't that much artisanal cheese around. Right. So if you had some, people were willing to try it. They were kind of excited about it. It might have been kind of crappy, but it was definitely different than anything else they'd been eating. <laughs> <laughs> and so... You know, there was people were very open to trying and, and uh, artisanal cheese. Now it's a much it's a sophisticated market, and and people recognize if it's good or it's not good. You have to have the packaging down, the labeling down. Uh, you know, the, your presentations. It's 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 a, so that is a challenge for people. Right. Um, you know, it's it, it's it's not. Uh, y- y- you, you have to be sophisticated in those things if you want to get started, whereas uh, three decades ago, uh could just get started without any sophistication and be able to have some kind of ha- uh, place in the market. Right, um, right. Uh, so that's a big, big change. And that makes it, it, it that makes it harder to get into sort of the wholesale selling of artisanal cheese right. um which is why the new sheep dairies that i've and and i know uh, i know a number of them uh because we sell a lot of our ewe lambs to people who are uh, getting into milking they're either ones that are setting up to in in a fairly significant size like a, there's a number of amish farmers who are are getting into milking sheep um or uh uh you know, there. Well, or they are um, uh, very small operations that have a bed and breakfast, or have a right. uh, their own restaurant, or the, you know, have some little thing where that's where the product goes.
0: Right. They've got the outlet, huh? How have the how have the genetics um, changed over the years? How has that landscape evolved?
2: You know, um, that that's a good question. And it's, it's the genetics are something that I haven't worried that much about. Um, it, 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 it's been a hang up for a number of people, but here we just have been selecting within the, the genes that we have on the farm, uh, selecting the daughters of the best milkers and for years now, years and years and years. And, the pr- productivity of the flock has been going up and up. Um, now uh, we are on and have been on for a little while now, uh, in, uh, something called DHIA, Dairy Herd Improvement Association, right. which is really a, an organization that helps uh, cow dairies with their genetics. But they're they're set up and they're they're happy to help us um, by coming in milk metering the and collecting samples of the milk from every sheep once a month through right. our whole milking season and sending the milk to a lab in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and having that milk analyzed and being able to tell you how much cheese you're going to make from that milk and um, essentially how much money you're going to make from the milk. Right. And whether uh, and that enables us uh, to even more pick the, the ewe lambs from... The right. really most special use. Not necessarily the biggest producers, but the ones that produce the most cheese. Right. Um and so uh and and the 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 genetics of the flock have changed drastically from when I first started, or when from the sheep that my parents had to to now. What's um, the
1: production difference, do you think? Oh
2: from- uh, boy, I think that <laughs> I don't need, I mean they're the, the production difference is huge. Yes, uh, you know, I can at, only at, imagine. At, at, right, at, uh, we, I saw mutters and, and, out there. <laughs> yeah, and, and we, you know, we we uh, even today we let the lambs nurse for four to six weeks, and then we, although we're milking off extra milk during that time, we really start milking when the when the ewes have already nursed their lambs for four to six weeks. So after that. We, uh, this past year, we got something uh, just over 500 pounds per um, uh When we first started, it was way under 100 pounds per you
1: <laughs> so, Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what paying attention to and selection and breeding for these traits has done for you. Right, right. But it took 30 years.
2: Yes, yeah, that's yeah. That's remarkable.
1: Yeah. But these, but, these young folks are... They are so fortunate to be able to buy some of the the lambs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you lambs from really. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. We we have it's it's sort of fun to see how many. Sheep are related to these sheep that right. are all around the world. I mean, all around the country now.
1: I, know. I was it's wondering, kind of a, do any of you, um, you know, like you and Mark Fisher, or whatever, uh, any of the other sheep, sheep dairy, like share genetics? Like, will you lend each other rams, or are you, yeah. or do you go out of the area for that? Or? No,
2: we st- we we still. I, I mean, it kind of we go out of the area, but we we uh, if we know that if I know that um, Mark has has. Uh, got a ram from some place far away, right? Uh, that is not related or not only distantly related to uh, these sheep. Then maybe I'll get a ram lamb from him or something like that, right? You know, we we uh, it's a good
1: resource, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, to yeah. be connected that way. Oh,
2: yeah, that's... yeah. So and then and then it's just kind of wonderful to see how how the personality of the flock and the sheep, individual sheep, has changed as a result of. Of milking them and uh, and over the years picking the daughters of the best milkers and right. it, they just become more and more at ease with people.
1: It seems um, like there's a cultural, you know, practice here on the farm too that cultivates that as well.
2: Yes, you know, and yeah, yeah, your yeah.
1: interaction with them,
2: right? Right. Your love and, of being with for them, instance, and yeah, right. yeah, we do. And then and for instance, um, have letting the lambs nurse. But also running the moms through the milking parlors, so the lambs can learn that whole the routine. And when it when they grow up and they have lambs and they're being milked, they know. Oh, I've done this before. It was as as a little as a little lamb. Yeah, it's so, cool. It's like yeah.
1: managing expectations, right. <laughs> even for the sheep. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Oh my gosh! All right, I just want to talk about Y two K. It uh-huh. okay. <laughs> was quite a year. Yes. Yeah, year 2000. Uh Vermont Shepherd wins best in show at ACS. Right. Uh okay. I'm gonna get, put you through a little test. Where was ACS that year? <laughs>
2: oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that year it was in uh California. Was it in California? No, we're gonna look at it. I can't it up. remember.
1: Did you I guess I didn't go? We well, weren't able to go I, then. Yeah. I, How did you hear about it?
2: Well, we entered the contest and we got word.
1: <laughs> somebody, did you have to like, the, somebody call you up right away and say, oh yeah, my gosh, boy. you won Best in Show.
2: I can't remember. I bet Honestly, it was I can remember in 1993, that one was in, um, uh, that one was at Chelburn Farms. Was it really? It, I, w- I went to that. Uh, and that was extremely exciting because we got Best Farmhouse Cheese that year. And mm. everybody, it, it, and that was sort of, to a lot of people, that was the top award because Farmhouse Cheeses was oh, of where the it was most, at.
1: It's the most special category to yeah, me.
2: Yeah. And so, um, but, and then sort of ever since then, we've entered the contest every seven or eight years. So we entered in 93, we entered in 2000, we entered in 2007, we entered in 2015, um, and none of the other years. And just because we haven't really needed to, right. and and you know it's a bit of an effort and so on, it's and right, but but, it's but every year we've won uh, a, a, a first prize in farmhouse cheese or best of show or uh, you know the, the years that we've done it. So oh, it's been exciting. very rewarding when we've done it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's was was that the first time a sheep's milk cheese ever won best in show? Do you know? I should have looked that up. Yeah, I don't know. Wow, that's I really great. I, I, I
2: mean, there's a there's a whole. Someone was doing a whole kind of profile of all the first of the best of shows, right? Uh, a year, a few years ago. So I know that you can look that we up. We can
1: look it ideas, up. I'm sure it's out there, yeah. 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 <laughs> some,
2: some, uh, Maybe it was Culture Magazine. Was Culture here. Magazine. I'm not sure. One of
1: I don't know if you know this, but the first time I ever had your cheese was the first year I started making cheese. I was selling to DeBruno Brothers and I went in oh. and they're, you know, of course those guys, they're all about bringing cheesemakers behind the counter and like really wanting you to like experience the customer experience at DeBruno Brothers. So while we're there, you know, we're tasting cheese. And one of the first cheeses I ever bought was was your Vermont Shepherd. Oh, and cool. it it always stayed with me. So when I was in the cave last last October, I was just like, I can't believe it. I'm winning. <laughs> yeah. I got to go into the cave. <laughs> oh, <that's> um, <laughs> but I do like to tell them at DeBruno Brothers, well, you know, when I don't see Vermont Shepherd here, or, you know, Verano, I think, well, People just have to get it through the Collective Creamery Cheese Share because we have the connections. (laughs) (laughs) I got to rub it in their noses a little. No, no, I love those guys. But yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah,
0: was the start. So, David, now that you have your – now that you have after many decades (laughs) of hard work and toiling away. This this (laughs) success. (laughs) No, but now that you have your systems kind of dialed in and your genetics pretty strong and your production pretty strong – um, and a great fan base. What is it that keeps you inspired? Like, what what kind of fuels your fire on a day to day basis?
2: Oh wow! Well, I love the work. I love the seasonality. I love farming. I love cheese making. So it's so it's uh, you know th- that has that really been the the center of my life. Actually, the work of of um, of that work, and now it's become. The, the farm has become a, a kind of an important community resource. Uh, there's the schools come through. You know, you go to the the local public elementary school, and there's a mural that has the, that that uh, the kids have painted that's all sheep, and the and uh, sheep are a big part of the local. You know, if there's a parade or something. <laughs> Oh, and then great. and then we've had I mean Austin who just came in here a little while ago to to clock out. He's the third generation in his family to work on this farm. Right. Wow. His grandmother worked on it, his parents have worked on it, and then and now he is. He's a high school senior now.
1: I love when we and, pulled in, your neighbor was in here and he was like, Well, if I come next weekend with my grandchildren, will they be able to see the lambs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How beautiful is that. Yeah,
2: yeah. So that that feels pretty special. And now that my uh uh, adult children have been working on, and and I mean, one of them is about to have a, a baby himself, is he, with his wife in two weeks or so. You know, that's it, it, that that's kind of inspiring, right there. The the yeah. impact on the family and the community, and, and how it's, mm. uh, you know, how has this gone?
1: You're really – we've been talking a lot this weekend while Steph and I have been, like, traveling around around Vermont. We've vlogged a lot of hours in the Mm. car, and Mm. we've been really um, discussing the cultural impact of farms in a community, in a region. And it just sounds to me like just thinking, like, people are probably marking their seasons by this farm when they see the lambs out. You know, their children are growing up knowing that you're here, you know. (laughs) Clearly, three generations that's really impactful. I can't even believe you have a mural at the elementary school yeah. <laughs> like this is like the best case study ever for the cultural impact yeah. of a farm and region, and I think it's something that we just have to always be talking about as yeah. we're losing so many small farms. you know like where Where do we see the strengths of these small farms, and how can we uh, exhibit that for other farmers, so that we can keep this resilience in communities and not lose any more.
2: Right. That, yeah, it's really important, and uh, and being able to to for for the the community members, especially the kids, to be able to see that link to the environment they live in, in one fashion or another, in this world where it's easy to be completely detached from the um, environment yeah. you live in, and that. Yeah, that it's it's a really valuable thing.
1: Wow, um, I sure. love that the next generation of your family is here.
2: Yeah,
1: it's really, it's really great.
0: And I think it's important for people to hear this. Like most of our listeners are cheesemakers, you know. Um, and I think it's important to to some startups especially those of you out there listening who are working with sheep to know that from an economic perspective it is viable you know if you if you make it a lifestyle choice i'm curious to hear what like um you know from a business from a small business perspective like have there been some lessons learned about how you've been able to um, work through those challenges yeah, financially yeah
2: yeah i mean th- this actually came up uh, yesterday we had a group of of um adult students coming from the farm school in Athol mass and um uh how how is it that this farm works when a lot of sheep dairies don't work that was one of the questions right and the the answer is that um as I see it um, is that we were fortunate enough to start with no resources to speak of um, in, in um, kind of setting up the, the operation and just kind of adapting the what my parents uh, had and the sheep. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and have kind of kept on uh, sort of that, that uh, way of farming, which is to, a way of sheep farming, which is to use or allow the sheep to um, do what they do best, which is uh, eat grass in, as, uh, for a very, very long season. They don't, they're, they're not heavy, so they don't damage the ground mm-hmm. uh, late in the fall, early winter. So if there's no snow, they can graze well into the winter. They don't need heavy equipment. You don't need b- great big tractors. Uh, the milking setup does not have to be expensive, so it's it's that uh, that has kept this farm um, uh, viable. It is that we really have not we we allow the sheep to do what they do best, which is be a pretty economical animal right. and not spend, uh, not treat the sheep as uh as if they were little cows right. and buy the same kind of equipment that a cow uh, dairy might need if you do that you're doomed from the beginning try, uh, trying to make the the economics work
1: yeah cuz the infrastructure costs are just way too great
2: right yeah right. just the payback right. on that exactly so that's that's been uh, that i think that's been sort of the secret to why uh, this farm really has has uh done well um we We have a lot of grass and we have the that that is what the sheep eat, and we don't harvest a whole lot of that grass. We make them go out and eat the grass (laughs) themselves. (laughs) So, um, uh, with you know a lot of intensive rotational grazing, and
1: right, Um, what's the furthest they have to travel? How far do they have to travel?
2: Well, actually, one of the, the best times of year is uh, after. Is close to the end of milking, or right after the end of milking, which is uh, these days is sometime in November, when the snow before the snow has come, we uh, want to stockpile the grass that's that's close by that might be growing oh, on the farm. Right. So then we herd the sheep, and it came miles, miles, six miles, or you know. You know, sometimes one to six miles away to uh of neighbors' fields, okay. And we graze the regrowth from hay fields on those fields. And it could be you know, it's a long way away. And then there are often little fields that are off, it's a very wooded landscape here, but there are fields dotted you know, through the woods, right? So the sheep, um, so we know all the trails and just uh herd them and that, um that enables us to then bring the sheep closer and closer to home as the weather gets worse and worse, but, but have them graze until the snow is more than six inches deep, uh, at which point they can't anymore, but really take advantage of, of the amount of grass that the landscape Mm -hmm. can grow.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you take them out on foot or do you guys like have a four wheeler? No,
2: No, no, we, it's, uh, on foot with border collies.
1: Yeah. The dogs are so dedicated. First thing I the, you know, like my first awareness was these dogs are watching every single thing going on with those sheep. They're so good at their jobs. Oh, I love that. That's just makes it just makes perfect sense. Yeah, we just have to use common sense.
0: Yeah, I love that your strength has been starting with nothing. Like that that's kind of shaped, you know, the whole direction that your farm has taken in. And we like we do often talk about how it's kind of that industrious scrappy nature that you know makes or breaks your business because if you learn it up front then you can adapt as you go yeah so i love that very cool um anything else we should hear about
1: Oh, you got oh, another? Of course, you know, our common friend Vito, we spent yeah, yeah. spent some time with last sure. night. And, you know, he knew, he he said, he, a few months ago, he said, you know, I really think you guys need to talk with David Major. And I was like, ah, we do. We need to talk with him. And so I was like, you know, what are some things, you know, let's, let's talk about some things to chat with David about. He's like, I really want to know what kind of crazy projects he has up his sleeve. So this is for Vito. Okay. Are there any crazy projects coming forth in the future here at Vermont Shepherd?
2: (laughs) Um. Yes and no. All right. We we're. we're... Well, I
1: wonder if he knew something.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We are. Um. We we love the cheese we make the verano and the invierno and that is the center of what we're doing and we don't plan to make other cheese. We are because the younger generation is coming into the farm, we are um, milking a few more sheep okay and using more land and and so that you know it's that that's really the yeah. the Just- yes and no part of it. We're we're staying the same but we're 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 staying. We're we're continuing with what we make, right. um, but we're we're expanding uh, somewhat to take advantage of the. I mean, we we love our cheese, and the market loves our cheese, and so <laughs> take advantage of that. Yeah, and and produce a little bit more. Right, um, and to bring so another family member, to bring in. another family member in who wants to have a family. Right, in his
1: own, so. and that's fair. That's yeah. totally fair. Um, I gotta say, how. I really admire the fact that, you know, you've really kept to this, you know, cheesemongers, they want more. Mm-hmm. What do you have up and coming? Why aren't you making something new? And I bet with – can only imagine that you've had a lot of pressures over the years. Well, why aren't you making this style of cheese? Would you add onto to the product line? And I got to say there's – you're a busy guy. Uh, yes. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. if you're walking these sheep six miles, okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That yeah. that Verano, it's like tried and true. You just right. know how to. And
2: and and, and uh, part of uh, I mean, uh, one of the re- sort of the one of the successful parts of this model of uh, you know our Vermont Shepherd model of farming is k- trying to keep it simple mm-hmm. and keeping the the product that we're making simple, keeping the, and, uh, and the marketing simple. And so, um, we have, we've resisted those, those, right. uh, pressures to, to make other products, um, uh, and, uh, really don't have any inclination to do so, uh, out in the market. That right. doesn't mean we don't make it sometimes for ourselves and, or oh, do a batch right. of yogurt or, do some other, I mean, Daniel, sure. uh, who works on the farms just made himself some blue cheese and you know, there's, there's, there's stuff yeah. like that happening, right. but, but in terms of day to day, you know, what, what are we making today and how does it go? What we're doing this year, you know, the, the making Verano Monday, Wednesday, Friday, making invierno on Saturday, uh, through the whole summer, that's what we've done now for quite a few years yeah and uh and uh so and it works yeah Mm. yeah
1: that it does work really well it's sublime (laughs) it's sublime i I just want to thank you so much for the work you do and the fact that you have like really inspired other farmers to take on you know this important work of raising sheep and like it's really it's a cultural movement to have more sheep dairies here in the country. And so much of the landscape needs that. They don't need the, like you said. I'm glad you talked about that. I almost yeah. can't imagine this land with a herd of cows on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It seems to me like it's a perfect fit for the sheep. So
2: yeah, it is. It's fairly steep and. You know. Right
1: right oh my gosh thanks for doing what you do and taking some time i mean this man has got to be sleep deprived right now (laughs) (laughs) and stephanie was very good about hunting you down in the last two days so thanks again we're gonna always love your cheese we're gonna chat it up and we're gonna share it with our friends and collective creamery so thank you
2: well thank you sue and stephanie
0: oh that's great (laughs)
1: Collective Creamery is Stephanie Angstadt, Sue Miller, and Alex Jones. Jordan Heil produced the podcast, and Mike Lorenz wrote our music. You can hear him on Thursday nights at the Tired Hands Brew Cafe in Ardmore, Pennsylvania.
0: Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can learn more and subscribe to our cheese subscription at collectivecreamery.com.